It's the Real Faith for Real Life podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast all about how faith affects every part of our lives. I'm Pastor Bill, and if I don't sound like myself this week, well, my apologies. Last week, Eric was sick. This week, it's my turn to be sick, but I'm going to soldier on and get through this. And listen, I'm super excited about this series that we're in the middle of. It's all about the basics of the Christian faith, what we believe as Christians, what we believe the Bible is about, what we believe life itself is all about. And we're using the tool, the Heidelberg Catechism, which really helpfully summarizes these basic doctrines and teachings of the Christian faith. Now, we've begun uh, with the problem that all of us have, and that is sin. Last week, we defined what sin is. We said it's a widespread problem. In fact, every single person on planet Earth has this problem of sin. And we said it's a deep problem, that it's not surface level or tangential, but it gets to the very core of who we are and affects every part of who we are. This week, we're going to add to that and wrap up our discussion of sin by talking about why that is a big problem. In other words, uh, sin affects us all and it affects us all deeply, but why is that bad? (laughs) Well, the bad news is, in short, that God cannot look the other way. He cannot just ignore it. And we're going to find out why in today's teaching about the penalty of sin and the punishment that sin deserves. So stick around for that, this brief teaching segment, and then we'll be back here in the podcast studio. Pastor Eric will be joining me for an interactive discussion. All right, if you're ready, let's dive in. Welcome to part four of our series looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, this really helpful summary of Christian doctrine in Q&A form. We're calling this study I Believe because it's all about what we believe about these various doctrines and topics within the Bible. We've been saying that the Catechism is organized into these three sections, sin, salvation, and service. And we've begun thinking about this first broad category, sin. We're going to finish that section out today and then begin turning the corner into the next section, salvation. And after that, we'll begin talking about service. Okay, with that helpful orientation, a quick review. We've been saying that sin is anytime human beings do or say or think something that's contrary to the will of God. And we're all guilty of violating his will, not only trespassing and transgressing over lines he's drawn in the sand, but also just falling short of the things he's asked us to do that we do not do. Last week we said, hey, listen, it is so bad that we are, as theologians would say, totally depraved. Every single one of us born into sin without the ability to think correctly, to have correct motivations, to even seek after God. That's how bad the problem of sin is for all of us. Now, to pick up from there, the Catechism asks a great follow-up question, which may be on your mind as you hear this review, which is simply this. Is God fair? If we're born unable to fulfill His will, is that fair of God to require us to, to obey Him? Well, let's go to the Catechism for the answer. Question. But doesn't God do us an injustice by requiring in his law what we are unable to do? 
Answer, no, God created human beings with the ability to keep the law. They, however, provoked by the devil, in willful disobedience, robbed themselves and all their descendants of these gifts. Well, it's really important we think deeply about this question because this Q&A reminds us that God did not create Adam and Eve wicked, but he created them good. He created them with the ability to follow his commands and to keep the law. But they willingly rejected that. They willingly disobeyed and robbed themselves of that ability. And not just them, but all of us, like we've been saying, all of us as their descendants have been born into this state of sinfulness. So next question, Q&A 10, does God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? Certainly not. God is terribly angry with the sin we are born with, as well as the sins we personally commit. As a just judge, God will punish them both now and in eternity, having declared, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. So I think the heart behind this question is this. Uh, I admit I'm a sinner and that's true, but everybody else is also. Everybody else is sinning too, so God, can you maybe just grade on a curve here? Maybe offer us a mulligan, a do-over, a try again, or just sweep our sin under the rug, so to speak, not worry about it. <laughs> Well, listen, the catechism says that is not an option. In fact, he uses this very strong language. Can he do that? Certainly not. Certainly not. Why? Because he is a just judge. He is perfectly just, in fact, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. And that is a good thing. Think about this with me for just a second. We all know that justice is a good thing. We all want justice sometimes. Imagine this scenario. Imagine you're a small business owner and someone robs your business and steals money from you. You take that person to court and what do you want? You want a just judge who is going to help you get your money back, who is going to tell that person what you did is wrong. Now pay him back and, and don't do this again. <laughs> That's what you want in that moment is justice. Think about when you're out and about in your car. There's a certain road here where I live where people just go as fast as they possibly can and they are whizzing by me. And you know what I'm thinking in that moment? I'm thinking, man, I hope there is a police officer up ahead because the, these people are making the road unsafe for me and for my family. And in that moment, I want justice. So. We all can relate to these times when we know that justice is a good thing. And scripture says that about God. God is just, he's perfectly just, and that is good. That is something to celebrate. For instance, look at how Psalm 98 says it. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes, here's the word, to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. The psalmist here is calling on all of creation to resound and clap and sing, to rejoice. Why? Because God is coming to judge the earth. In other words, to make every wrong right, to set everything right, to bring justice to the earth. The psalmist knows that's a good thing to celebrate, and we do too. 
But here's an interesting little caveat about justice. Sometimes we're the one crying out for justice. Sometimes we're the one on the wrong end of injustice being done. But sometimes you're the person in the car going 10 miles per, over, uh, 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. Sometimes you're the person who, if there is a police officer, is facing a fine, a ticket, a court appearance, whatever, a punishment. And so there's this flip side to justice as well when you find yourself on the wrong side and look at how the catechism describes being on the wrong side of God's justice. The catechism here actually quotes Galatians 3.10, which says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. So listen, justice is a good thing until you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, on the wrong side of justice, especially when you find yourself on the wrong side of God's law. Because God's a just judge, he will and must punish uh, those now and in eternity who violate his law. It's not just Galatians 3.10, it's all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments, this part of God that we don't talk about very much, but is very true. Look at how Paul says it in Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, this is rooted way back in our history. In fact, if you open your Bible to the very first pages of the story, you'll find that God had spoken about the penalty for sin. Genesis 2, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God is saying to the first humans, there's a penalty for disobedience, and it is death. And Paul in Romans 6 says it this way, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, there's that penalty. And Paul says it's almost like a wage. And so it's the paycheck you get. It's what you earn after living a life apart from God and running away from him. And so all of us have this, this thing where we have to acknowledge justice is a good thing. And sometimes we're crying out for justice. Sometimes we're victims of injustice. We want justice. But at other times we realize, hey, we are on the wrong side of the law. We are on the wrong side of God's law. And for us, that is a huge, huge problem. So that leads to our next question here. Question and answer 11. But isn't God also merciful? Answer, God is certainly merciful, but also just. God's justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. As we talk about sin in this section, we have to talk about what sin deserves. And the answer here is clear. It deserves death. Why is that? Well, let's just zoom out to remember that as human beings, we don't have existence in and of ourselves, but we live and move and have our being in God, our source of life. And sin cuts us off from God, our source of life. And so it just makes sense that sin leads to death. It's just like this grape. You see it on a vine here. Well, if you cut it off from the vine, what's going to happen? Or how about a branch on a tree? If you cut that branch off from the tree, what is going to happen? Well, obviously, it cannot live apart from the rest of the plant. It is going to begin to die and wither away. And I think the, the message of Scripture is very similar for us as humans. When we cut ourselves off from our source of life, also, death comes into the equation and we begin to die physically 
and we die spiritually. It just makes sense. Now, as we turn to Scripture to see where this teaching is rooted, we have to ask the question, what does that death, what does that spiritual death look like? Some would argue that it just means we blink out of existence and we're done and we're gone. But the Catechism said something different than that. It said that we will face eternal punishment of body and soul. Is that really true? Books are being written left and right today saying that can't be true. That's not true. That's not what God would do. Well, ultimately, the Scripture has to say, so let's look at what the Scripture says. Hebrews 9, 27. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, face judgment. There are no second chances according to Scripture. And Matthew 25 says, let's be clear, it's not the case that at the end of the day, everybody is just going to somehow find their way into salvation. No, there are two groups of people repeatedly we see in Scripture. Uh, look at this verse. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If you look up the full context, what Jesus is talking about, he's saying at the end of the day, there are two groups with two destinies. He pictures them here, sheep and goats. And the fact is that, yes, there is a group destined for eternal punishment, just like there's a group destined for eternal life with God. The difference between those two groups is one of them has had their sin paid for by Jesus the others are paying for their sin themselves eternally. And so the, I love this part of the catechism because it is so addressed to what our culture needs to understand right now. It basically boils down to this. Can God be just and merciful at the same time? And the answer, it's super important you know this, the answer is that yes, he can and yes, he is. The Bible is, is not bipolar and flipping back and forth with two contradictory teachings, but both of these things are true at the same time. God is just and God is merciful. His mercy does not negate his justice and his justice does not negate his mercy. We're going to see how those two things can be true at the same time as our study continues. But for now, let's return to this realization that just because God is merciful does not mean that he's not just. He is just, and that's a huge problem for us. So obviously, the next question, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment, both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? Answer, God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. The Catechism is saying it is not a solution to the problem to ask God to just turn off his justice, to turn off his righteousness, to look the other way, to give a mulligan, to sweep sin under the rug. No, in fact, God requires that his justice be satisfied. Look at this verse from Exodus 23. God says, I will not acquit the guilty. That is not an option. And so what, what can we do here? The claims of his justice must be paid in full either by ourselves or by another. Let's begin to explore those options. Last Q&A for this week, can we ourselves pay that sin debt? Can we do that? Q&A 13, the DIY option, do-it-yourself option, will that work? Can we make this payment ourselves? Answer, certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. There's a debt that has to be paid for us to be right with God. Can we pay that ourselves? The answer is clear. No, we cannot. Let's think about why that's not an option. 
So look at what Paul said in Romans 2. He says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are, listen to this, storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So Paul is telling the Roman church and he's telling us today that, listen, it's almost like every day that goes by, we are adding more debt to our account, more sins that must be punished. We're getting nowhere in making ourselves right with God. So the DIY option, it's not an option. So if you encounter someone, or maybe you are someone who is thinking, yeah, I, I can do this myself. I can be good enough to overcome all the bad things I've done. I can tip the needle in my favor. I can get in the scales of justice and make the good like 51% and the bad 49%. I can make it on my own. I just want you to think about this with me. Why is that not an option? Why will that not work? Well, number one, God is due more than 51% perfection. He is due 100% perfection. That's the standard, not 51. And if we're going to make up for all the bad stuff, how are we going to do that? I mean, God is due perfection. So if I were to not sin today, I would just be doing what he's required of me today. I wouldn't be going above and beyond to make up for something in the past. If I live perfectly tomorrow and the day after and the rest of my life, that's just doing what he has required of me. That's not going above and beyond to make up for something in the past. The truth of the matter is we cannot pay our own debt. All we can do is live each day as we're required to moving forward. And by the way, we can't even do that. As Paul says, we know we are unable to stop sinning. We are just accumulating more wrath for ourselves. And so the DIY option, which is very popular in today's culture, is not an option. God just sweeping sin under the rug, not an option. As we begin to turn the corner in now to the next uh, section of salvation, we're going to see what will work. But as we close this video, I just want to celebrate something really quick. And that is, we finished talking about sin. And you now, if you've been tracking along, you have a very deep, thorough, biblical doctrine of sin. And that is called, here's a big word for you, hamartiology. You actually have a hamartiology now. Uh, you know about sin now. It's a quick review. You know about the fall. You know that sin entered the world when Adam and Eve, who were created good, still rebelled against God and brought sin into their experience, and not just theirs, but ours too. We call that original sin, uh, that all of us are not born a blank slate, but are born with inclinations to evil. We call that inherited pollution. And how bad is what we inherit? Just Is it scratching the surface of the human experience? No, it is total depravity. Total depravity, radical corruption, corruption in our core and every part of us, every part of us. And that's a huge problem because God is just. He must punish sin and our good works won't work. They just increase our guilt every day. So that wraps up our section on sin, a very thorough treatment of sin, but a very important doctrine to start with because if you don't get this right, nothing else makes sense. And so what we're going to study next flows right out of this foundational, fundamental doctrine, the teaching on sin. So we've talked about what won't work to take care of our sin problem next week. We're going to talk about what will work. We'll see you then as we continue our study, I Believe. All 
right, and now to continue our discussion, joining us in the podcast studio is Pastor Eric today talking about the, um, the penalty that sin deserves. We provide our small groups each week with some discussion questions, and we thought we'd share those with you right now. I'll read a question. We'll give a little pause in case you want to pause the podcast and discuss with the people in the car with you or at home with you. And then after a brief pause, we'll discuss here as well. So our first question for this week for discussion, uh, Pastor Eric, when people are reminded of their sin, they often try to hide it, deny it, or explain it away. Why do you think this is so? I do really believe that people think that sin is a big deal. And I think that because every one of us has experienced shame hmm. in our life. And so part of why we try to hide it or deny it or explain it away is a little bit more about self-preservation and, you know, like shame of, of what other people might think about me uh, than it probably is connecting it to God. So I, I do think that people think that sin, they might not label it sin. They think it's a big deal, but it's more about saving face for themselves than it is about connecting them, their heart to the Lord. That's really profound. I actually hadn't thought of that before. But if you look at what's going on in our culture right now, um, people getting canceled for doing things, um, even things distant in their past, mm. there is this really uh, reemergence of a shame culture. Typically, American culture hasn't been known for shame. It's been known for shamelessness, you know. But now people do have this awareness of, oh, I've done something wrong or against an accepted norm, and I'm ashamed of it and I have to hide it or... Uh, another coping technique is to just really own it and say, I'm, I did it, and it's fine, I don't mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't care either. So, yeah, very, very insightful, Eric. Thanks. People do have a sense of shame, even though, you know, that may not be including God as part of the uh, discussion. Interesting. Mm. Next question. Uh, so, is sin a big deal to God? Why is God angry with sin? Why does God have to punish all sin? Would you want to live in a universe where God allows evil to thrive? Uh, let me just start at the beginning. Is sin a big deal to God, and why is God angry with sin? Sin is a huge deal to God, and it's because He loves us so much. He desires to be in connection with us and to have a deep, heart-centered relationship with each and every person that is His creation and so it becomes a big deal because sin is separating us from God. And that, that makes God angry because he loves us. He loves us so much. Um, but that does come back to the question, you know, does God have to punish all sin? And so I'll throw that one back to you, Bill. You know, again, you have brought a really interesting angle into this discussion that I hadn't really thought much about before. Uh, we typically go right to God's holiness and God's justice and why he's angry with sin. But it also gets to his goodness, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. That sin ultimately hurts families. It hurts our relationships. It hurts the people God has made in his image. And so, yeah, yet another reason God is angry with sin. And uh, the next sub-question here is, why does God have to punish it? Well, I think that does come down to his holiness and his justice. Mm -hmm. And um, you heard a little bit in the teaching segment earlier about how a just judge is a good thing, you know, upholding justice in the courtroom is something we all want, uh, even in today's day and age. So we want God ultimately to bring justice as well and for right to triumph, not wrong. 
for evil not to triumph. Mm -hmm. So that leads into our next question. So when we read uh, the Bible verse, we the Bible verses in today's study, we've learned a lot about the character of God. And some of these verses we talked about this week speak about an aspect of God's character that is not as popular to talk about today, which is the fact that he is just and holy and righteous and uh, must punish sin. So why do you think it's important that we continue to read those type of verses and to continue to study that part of who God is? I think culture has swung largely away from anything but God being love. And so as Christians, we have to fight to maintain that balance that Scripture presents, not just reading the verses that are fun to read and make us feel good, but the verses that reveal God in his fullness, you know. All of us have multiple parts to our personality, you know. I'm I'm a kind person, but I'm also, if you try to play tennis with me, you will see the beast come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have played. Yeah, we have. And uh, you won, so the beast did not come out that day. <laughs> but hey, we if you get to know me, there are multiple parts of me to get to know. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true with God here. We have to get to know this part of God instead of just ignore it. Right, and so the character of God is one that is actually very balanced. We look mm-hmm. at many different characteristics of God, and we think if God is all love, then you know, we could just explain away our sin. Ah, don't worry, God just loves you. Don't worry about it. If God was all just, we would just live in terror and fear of Him. But this balanced character of God is one that meets us in all stages of our lives, trying to reunite us with the way that He perfectly made our creation. All right, and a related question, uh, Scripture also teaches that people will face judgment after after death. You heard some of those verses in the teaching segment earlier, but many reject this doctrine today or present alternate views, such as it's not an eternal punishment, just uh, um, a death in the sense of snapping out of existence, uh, annihilation. Now, the Catechism says not that, but that we do face eternal punishment for our sin, So why do you think it is that some people are presenting these alternate doctrines, such as universal salvation or just soul annihilation? Bill, there's this fantastic thing called justification, right? And I remember growing up, somebody saying, you know, it's just as if I'd never sinned. You're justified. And when we try to take it into our own hands, when we try to justify ourselves— The only way we can do it is by literally manipulating God's Word, changing doctrine, and making it into something that fits and feels right to us. This is why people reject this doctrine of judgment uh, after life, and and why we try to create these other things, because we want to feel good. When we do give time to thinking about what happens after this world ends, when we die, we can't help but think, if there is judgment, then we got to change the way it looks. Otherwise, I'm going to be in trouble. So we have a stake in the outcome of this theological debate. And maybe that's why our psychology will not allow us to even entertain the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the verse we read in the teaching segment was Matthew 25, 46. It talks about a group of people going away to eternal punishment as opposed to the righteous, which will go to eternal life. If you just look up the footnotes in the Heidelberg Catechism, you see that the doctrine of hell is very real, and it's very much present throughout Scripture. So, 
Again, it comes down to do we let our feelings determine which scriptures we choose to believe and which ones we choose, ah, that's outdated, that needs some revision. (laughs) Or do we let the scriptures inform our thinking and our emotions and everything? So I would, of course, make the, um, the assertion that we should allow scripture to form us instead of the other way around. Final question today. God must punish sin in order to still be a just God. Someone has to pay the bill. So could you do it yourself? Can you perform enough good works to outweigh the bad things you've done so far in this life? Bill, I like to think that I can do a lot of things on my own. Like I could, you know, lift something super heavy and 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 somehow in doing that I could maybe save somebody in need or like that I could be a, a superhero on some some part and and I would love to think that in some way the the practices of of living trying to live a holy life trying to follow Christ uh, just all of my own works I like to think that that could be enough uh, but I know in my heart that I am still sinful from the very beginning and I can do as good uh, as I can in life but that will not outweigh the bad things that I have done at any point in my life. And the only way that I can do anything with, with what comes next, with, with uh, standing before the Lord, with having access to God, the only way that happens is through Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think uh, you used an interesting word there, and it's outweigh. And it's like, man, <clears throat> there's a few aspects of this question that are important to dig into. And even if that were possible, I don't think any of us could outweigh the good with the bad when we really fully understand that even the best things we do are tainted with sin. Mm -hmm. That do we ever really put God first? Do we ever really love people the way that we're supposed to love other people? So in that sense, it's very, very unlikely that anyone, including myself, would be able to do more truly good things in life than bad, uh, that the good would outweigh the bad. But the scripture's point of view, it's not a weighing between good and bad, but it's a standard of perfection to be met. So the standard is 100% righteous, not 51% righteous. And so even if I were hypothetically able to do perfectly good from now on, uh, that would just be doing what's required of me each and every day, not going above and beyond to make up for something in the past, not getting extra credit, so to speak. And I read recently another way to look at it is you know, the sin of murder. Okay, so m- most of us here aren't murderers. Maybe we have a murderer listening, I don't know. But uh, in our hearts, we're murderers, right? Ju- Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but if you commit the crime of murder, for instance, uh, no matter how sorry you are for that, you cannot restore that person back to life. And it's sort of the same way with our sin against God. There's no way for us to go back and truly make up for what we've done. And so, yeah, we have this debt before God that you referenced, this justice that must be satisfied, and absolutely no way to pay for it on our own. You can look at that a variety of different ways, but no matter which way you look at it, we are in a bad place. And that completes the section on the bad news, sin, and leads right into what you referred to, Jesus being the only possible solution to this problem, which we'll get into next week. Now... Before we close this week, (laughs) we did have someone submit a very difficult question for us today. 
that we promised we'd address on the show. So, hey, if you have a question of your own, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd, we'll address it on the podcast. So, Eric, you want to read this week's submitted question? Yeah, sure. I would love to uh, read that question, uh, Bill. This came from a life group, uh, which meets out of this church. And it's a pretty simple question, yet it's very complex. And so this is what it reads. Will people have the opportunity to sin in heaven? And we want to leave space for you to think about this question before we answer it as well. So do that right now. Well, I really appreciate this question. You know, she's getting at, why is heaven any different than the Garden of Eden? Uh, You know, people were created good then too, but look what happened. Uh, Look how sin entered the world. And, you know, the answer to that is really complex, actually, but it all comes down to, once again, we have to believe what Scripture teaches, whether or not we fully are able to understand it, wrap our minds around it. And the picture that Scripture, you know, presents of heaven time after time after time is that the life to come is free from the presence of sin altogether. Uh, for instance, Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It's what theologians call glorification. So there's justification, where we're saved from the penalty of our sin. There's sanctification, which is the ongoing process of being saved from the power of sin. And then there's glorification where we're saved from the presence of sin itself once and for all. And really, the picture of Revelation is that Satan is finally thrown into the lake of fire and removed from uh, the equation altogether. It's a deep question that theologians have wrestled with, uh, including maybe most famously St. Augustine, who wrote about this, uh, he called the four states of humanity, beginning with the way we were created, where we were able to not sin, and then moving all the way through our, our life where we encountered the fall and we're able to, we're, excuse me, not able to not sin, and uh, all, working all the way up through uh, the future that God has for us in heaven where we're not able to sin. <laughs> it, man, it's really confusing language here. But uh, theologians have thought through this. That's a good work to check out. Augustine's writing on it and looking up verses about glorification, that process that uh, frees us from the very presence of sin itself. Mm-hmm. I was trying to make it uh, like very simple in, in terms so that if there are some younger ears listening, uh, what does it look like in the end? Are we able to sin? Maybe I would answer it like this. If God defeats Satan and sin is removed, there's nothing to do. Sin is gone and all we do is worship and glorify and live in this perfect union with God. So sin is not able to happen Mm -hmm. after the glorification, after we go to heaven. Well, that was a really deep question. We really appreciate it. And if you have a question of your own, make sure to send it in. We'll address it here on the podcast. Coming up next week, we turn the corner to talk about salvation. And I can't wait for that. Hope to see you then. Mm